Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. One of the easiest books to find in your Bible, Revelation, the very back of the Bible. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 5. We're actually going to jump around Revelation mostly. So we'll start in Revelation chapter 5, and our scripture reading will be Revelation 5, verses 1 through 10. Though we're only going to focus on 8 through 10 um, as we start off our sermon. But we'll read 1 through 10 for the context. One of the ways to read Revelation is to read with your imagination on fire and active. So you can't read Revelation with a lazy, unimaginative mind, or you're not going to feel the force of the text. Okay? So I'm going to read Revelation 5, 1 through 10. And I want you to use your mind as much as you can to imagine the scene here. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black pew Bible in the chair in front of you, hardcover here. You can turn to page, what page is it? Anyone there? 1092. So 1092, you can turn to page 1092. Thank you for that, Angelique. And then um, we can follow along from there, okay? If this is your first time reading the Bible, the five is the big number, that's the chapter number, and the small numbers are the first number. Here, God's word from Revelation 5, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And here's where we're going to focus our message. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, we prayed it in our song. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Lord, we can't think too highly of your plans for us. They're too high. Your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so much greater are your ways above our ways. But we still pray, Father, elevate our minds. Open our eyes. Enlighten our thinking. Show us the glory of your plans for your people and for the glory of your name that we might rejoice and be glad in you all of our days. Father, soften our hearts. We can't do anything fruitful today 
apart from your Holy Spirit and your Son. So we pray that we would abide in him and that his words would abide in us, that we might bear fruit. We are helpless and hopeless for these next minutes apart from you. So we desperately plead with you for, for me to preach, for us to hear, and for our hearts to be soft to respond. Reorient our lives, Father. Shift the direction of some of our people here and yours. Change their lives forever due to this word from Revelation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We learned from last week in Psalm 14 and from our prayer of confession that we are sinners. And the Bible teaches us, as we learned last week, that sinners are damned, condemned to judgment, eternal punishment forever in the lake of fire. This is our problem. This is our greatest need. Our greatest need is salvation from our perdition. We need to be saved from judgment. We need to be saved from damnation. We need to be saved from our sins. We need to be saved from the judge. We need to be saved from God, who is the judge. And the good news is that God the judge is also God the Savior. God saves sinners from his judgment. And this salvation is received by all who would trust in Jesus Christ and turn from their sins. That they would repent. That's what conversion is. Repentance and turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. That's how somebody becomes a Christian. And the way you grow as a Christian is to continue to repent from your sins and trust in, in Christ. So initial repentance and faith is conversion. Continual or renewed repentance and faith is growth. That's how we grow as Christians. That's how we grow in experiencing our salvation. And the way we grow is by faith. And faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. But no one hears unless someone preaches. And no one preaches unless someone is sent. It says in Romans 10. So salvation comes to people through gospelizers. People who speak the gospel. Who preach the goodness of God in Christ in conversations at home, at work, when confronting somebody in sin, at school, and even among the nations. Now we as Christians want in our deepest desire when Christ taught us to pray. Father in heaven, our heavenly Father, let your name be honored as... Holy, hallowed be your name. That's our desire, that God's name would be honored as holy. We want God to be glorified everywhere, here in Southeast LA and everywhere, especially even in our own lives. We long for God's glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Part of our problem, though, is that as we want to really be sold out to God's global cause as world Christians, we look at our lives and we feel guilty because we're actually not as sold out as we want to be. Our desires don't match our, our life. Our desires don't match our actions. We want better than we live. We know better than we act and decide. And that's a problem. We don't live and know as we ought to know. We are too busy. Why are we not world Christians? Why are we not sold out for God's global mission? There could be a lot of reasons. One reason, I think, at least for me, is that we, I, I'm too busy and too focused to get distracted by missions. I got too much going on in my life. I got friends, I got family, I have work, I have neighbors, I got Christmas shopping. I don't have time to think about world missions. And so we feel a low-level guilt that we just try to push to the side and ignore. We know we're called to some big global 
cause, but we just try to ignore it and put it to the side. But here's the good news. We don't have to be too busy. We don't have to be distracted. We don't have to live our lives, our work, our school, our Christmas traditions this year, our Christmas activity. We don't have to live those things disconnected from God's global cause for missions. They actually connect. We can actually be world Christians in the midst of our responsibilities and craziness. It's possible. So here's the main goal from Revelation. All these texts of Revelation from the sermon. Be a world Christian by sacrificing your life for God's global glory. Be a world Christian by sacrificing yourself for God's global glory. I want you to get up on an altar and die again and again and again every day, every hour, every month. Or as Paul says, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your acceptable worship. And don't be conformed to this age or this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That's what a sacrificial life is. Dying to yourself, knowing God's will, and loving God's will. It's not just knowing it and just begrudgingly trying to obey it, but seeing it as good and pleasing and perfect for you. That you're willing to change your direction in life and action, even to change course in a relationship. In a conversation with somebody, admit you're wrong because your mind is conformed to Christ and you're dying to yourself. Be a world Christian by sacrificing your life for God's global glory. Now, why? I want, I want, to, I want to talk about how to do this. We'll do a little application at the end. I want to fill your heart and mind with three reasons why you should devote your life to God's global cause. I want it to be compelling. I'm praying that it would be compelling so that it would push you out of the smallness of your life and the sins in our lives and the distractions of our lives that we are sold out for God's global glory. So why should we be world Christians sacrificing our lives for God's glory in world missions? Three reasons, and I'll give you three headings for them. Past accomplishments, future destiny, and present predicament, okay? Three reasons to sell yourself out, to, to die to yourself for world missions. Because of the past accomplishments seen in Revelation, the future destiny, and the present predicament. So past, future, and present. If you're annoyed that it's not past, present, and future, I understand. I would be annoyed myself, but we need to close with applications, so we're gonna focus on the present, okay? All right, so past. We'll start, start with the past. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. Look at what was done in the past. Pre-December 8, 2019. And they sang a new song. You are worthy, Lamb, Lamb of God, who's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. What's his name? Who's that? His name's not mentioned here, but who is he? Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus, right? The Lord Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. So what did he do in the past? What was accomplished in the past? You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. We're going to talk about the seals. We'll get to the present, so let me just explain now. The seals that, that Christ is opening here in the scroll... It are the events of history, of world history. It's the, it's the story of the world. And so it's God's plan unfolding in the world. So as Christ is opening the seals, he's opening up the, the history of the world and God's plan being enforced and carried out in the world. Okay, We're going to get to that when we get to present. But now, as Jesus is opening the seals, you are worthy, the, the, the living creatures and the 24 elders, say you're worthy to, open it, to take the scroll and open its seals. No one else is worthy. You alone are worthy. Why? 
Because you were what? Slaughtered. That's past tense. That's a past accomplishment. You were slaughtered and you purchased past tense. You purchased people. And then verse 10, you made them a kingdom. So there's another past tense word. So what did Jesus do in the past? He purchased. He, um, or before he purchased, he, slaw he was slaughtered. He purchased and he made or ordained or anointed people to be royal priests. So here's what the past accomplishment is. He was slaughtered. What does it mean that the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, descendant of King David, son of Jesse from Judah, what does it mean that he was slaughtered? That's referring to what? The cross of Christ, right? So if you're not a Christian, this is the most basic reality of Christianity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross and rose from the dead. That is our historical claim. That's what we believe happened, not just because the Bible said it, though it is, that's the main reason, the final reason, but because this is, this is the story of history. It's verified historically that Jesus died on the cross. It's debatable whether Jesus rose from the dead, but if you use a historical investigation, you really don't have a good reason against it. It really is the only historical explanation. But that to the side, here's the point. Jesus was slaughtered. The Lamb of God was slaughtered in the past. Now, when Jesus died on a Good Friday, sorry, when Jesus died on a Good Friday, he rose on Sunday. But what did his death accomplish? Did Jesus die meaninglessly? The cross is the display of God's love. But what did his death accomplish? To die for someone and not accomplish anything is not love. It's not effective love. It's foolishness. Excuse me. It's, it's foolishness. Why is it foolishness? You know, um, C.S. Lewis, I think it's C.S. Lewis, who talks about if a, if a man was, was saying, I love the world, I love the world, and he's running off a pier, and he, he says, I love the world, I love the world, and he jumps off a pier, and he jumps into the water and drowns, you'd be like, wow, is that love? Would you be overwhelmed by that love? No, that's foolishness. What, what do you do? You love the world, so you just kill yourself? That makes no sense. Unless that death actually accomplished something, right? So what did Christ's death accomplish? Well, we already saw it here in this text. In his being slaughtered, in his death, he purchased people for God by his blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. So Christ accomplished a purchasing and then we find an ordaining or an anointing. So first we look at purchasing. Christ died to purchase people. He paid for their sin. He was the ransom. When we, when we sinned, we became indebted to God. And the wages of sin is what? What's the penalty for sin? Death. death. But the gift of God is eternal life, and so death is eternal death. When you sin, you deserve hell. You deserve damnation, condemnation, the second death, says in Revelation, or eternal death, according to Romans 6, 23. We deserve death. We are indebted to God, and we deserve death. Christ came and purchased us. He purchased people, not everyone in the world, a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So not everyone goes to heaven. Not everyone is paid for Christ died for everyone so that the offer is made to everyone. But if they don't come to Christ, if they're not in Christ, they will pay for their sins where? In hell. For how long? Forever. So when Christ purchased a people, that doesn't mean he purchased all people, but he purchased a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Christ died in their place and he paid the price by being damned on the cross. He was condemned on the cross for our sins. This is the good news 
of Christianity. This is the main message of Christianity. So if you're not a Christian, this is the best news you'll ever hear. And if you're a Christian, this is the best news you'll ever hear. God is holy and righteous. He made you, and we are um, his own. We're made to enjoy him. But we rebelled against God. We didn't want God on his own terms. And because we didn't want God and rebelled against God and said, I like God, but I want to use God for my own purposes. I don't want to actually have God as my final purpose. Because of that idolatry, making you, God your butler rather than your treasurer, that you, you, you know, that rather than your butler driving you to your relationship with your God, you make God your butler, and that is sinful. And we said that the penalty of sin is death. The good news is that God sent Jesus into this world. He lived the life we should have lived, his son, and he died on the cross, purchasing us by his blood. By his death, he was damned and condemned in our place for our sin. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. So that everyone from every tribe, nation, people, and language who repent from their sins, who turn away from their sins, and repent from their own righteousness and their own goodness, and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, can be saved, will be saved. Those are the purchased people. So if you're not a Christian, trust in Christ and turn from your sins. Children, trust in Christ and turn from your sins. So, so Christ purchased people from every tribe, people, nation, and language. And we'll think about that more in a second. And not only did he do that, in verse 10, he made them a kingdom and priests to our God. So not only did he purchase in the past, that's an per- accomplishment, that's already done, you're already paid for, if you're a Christian. But he also anointed kings and priests. Or he ordained kings and priests. A royal priesthood. Or here it says, a kingdom and priests to our God. So when Christ died for us, he made you his people. He made you a kingdom, meaning he's ruling over you. But he also made you, we're going to talk about in a second, to reign with him. So he also made you a king. You're royal. You're a royal priesthood. Kings are anointed by, by, by a prophet in, in Israel. They'd be anointed. So they're anointed as kings and declared as kings. Not only that, priests were anointed with oil. And so not only did Christ make you a king and part of his kingdom, he also made you a priest. You're part of his royal priesthood. And so you're anointed in that way as well. So why should you devote yourself to world missions? Because Christ purchased people from every tribe, nation, people, and language. And he made them kings and priests. And he made you a king and a priest. The point here is that Christ died to purchase people from every tribe. He anointed this blood-bought people as his royal priesthood. And this was already accomplished in 33 AD. So if you let this truth grip you, that Christ already purchased people, then this will help you live sacrificially for world missions. If you know that there's people who are still going to be saved because they haven't converted, though they've already been purchased, then it's your job to go out and find them. Share the gospel with everybody, and then those who Christ purchased will eventually come, won't they? They have to. Because Christ already paid for them. He didn't only pay for them out of hell. He paid for their faith. He paid for their repentance. He paid for their conversion. He paid for you to go to meet them that they might hear the gospel. And if that's true and you believe that, now you have a motivation to keep sharing the gospel with someone 50 times, 100 times with your neighbor, with your family member, with your coworker, Because Christ already paid for their faith. It's going to come in his time, but it's paid for. That's already passed and accomplished. Two young German Moravians in their 20s, in, 18, in the 18, oh, this would be the 1850s. In 1858, I think it is. Two young German Moravians 
heard of an island on the west in the West Indies where an atheist British owner owned 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. These, these 2,000 to 3,000 slaves were doomed to live without hearing about Christ. There was no one there who knew the gospel there among these 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. So these two young guys in their 20s were willing to sell themselves as slaves because the, the guy wouldn't al allow, um, I think he wouldn't allow pastors or, or missionaries there. So these two young men sold themselves as slaves to the British planter for the standard price of a male slave so that they can be sent on the ship to the West Indies and then share the gospel with their fellow slaves who don't know about Jesus. The Moravian community from Heronhut came to see the two lads off who would never return again, having freely sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery. As a member of the slave community, they would witness as Christians to the love of God. So there they are, about to take off. Family members were understandably what? Emotional, right? Family members were emotional and weeping. Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Is this really necessary? As the ship slipped away, with the tide and the gap widened, the young men in the boat linked arms, looking at their family and friends right there. Looking at them, they linked arms and raised their hands and shouted across the spreading gap, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. They're already paid for. He's going to save some there. May the lamb receive the reward for all that he purchased. They're there. They just need people to go. And so they sold themselves, believing the past accomplishment that Christ has purchased people for His blood, with His blood, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you believe that Christ will receive the full reward of His suffering? Do you believe that everyone He paid for will come from every tribe and nation and people and language? Do you believe that when Christ said, it is finished on that cross, that the full price of their salvation and their repentance and their faith and someone coming to share the gospel with them and translate the gospel into their language. Do you believe that Christ paid for all that and it's all paid for? Yes or no? Yes, yes we believe that. Now the harder question, do we live with that confidence in that past reality as we engage our neighbors and the nations? In other words, do we really believe that? Be a world Christian by sacrificing your life for God's global glory. Because of Christ's past accomplishment, that's number one. But number two, because of Christ's future destiny. Or not Christ's future destiny, but because of the future destiny. Okay? Second reason why you need to be sold out for world missions is because of the future destiny. Look at chapter 5 again, verse 10. The last phrase of chapter 5, verse 10. You made, the king, you made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. There's the future destiny. There's past, 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 purchased, slaughtered, purchased, made. Okay, past. But now you got a future phrase. And they will reign on the earth. See that there? They will reign on the earth. Who's the they? The people from where? From every, the people purchased from every tribe and language and people and nation. Those people, the, the slaves that were saved in the West Indies because of these two young Moravians, they will in the future what? Reign on the earth. That's a future destiny for every single Christian. Every tribe and language and people and nation. Every tribe and people and language and nation. Look at Revelation 7. Turn to the right in your Bible. Let me just read this passage 
Revelation 7 verses 9 through 17. This is between the sixth and seventh seal. I told you that the seals that Christ is opening and the scroll that he's unrolling is the, is the plan, God's plan in world history. And as the sixth roll, the sixth seal, which is near the end, the end of the scroll, as it's being rolled out at the end, here's the end. Revelation 7 verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Here's the future destiny, which no one could number. And where are they? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, this is the future vision, one of the elders asked me, who are these people in white robes? And where did these people in white robes come from? I said to him, sir, you know. And he told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are Christians coming out of the Great Tribulation. Those who are enduring and conquering. Those who were killed and those who gave their lives for God's global glory. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They were cleansed. So, verse 15, for this reason, because they conquered as His people out of the Great Tribulation... For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger, they will no longer thirst, the sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat for the Lamb who is at the center of the throne. He will shepherd them. He'll pastor them. He will guide them to the springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the future destiny. For people purchased from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's going to happen. They're going to be there. They're going to repent from their sins. They're going to trust in Christ. They're going to be disciples. They're going to build churches. And they're going to spread the gospel until Christ comes. And they're going to do it because they're going to trust in Christ. Because faith is going to come by hearing. And they're going to hear because someone is going to preach. And someone's going to preach because they were sent by other churches. They will be there. And we will send and we will go, and we will preach. We must. Christians must. That's the future destiny. Going back to Revelation 5.10, it says, They will reign on the earth. I just want to think about that idea of reigning on the earth. So we talked about the they, people from every tribe, nation, people, and language. What about reigning on the earth? Will we reign on the earth? Will we really rule? You know, this is not a unique thought in Revelation. It's all over Revelation. So let me just take you to every verse here in Revelation already. It's not that many, but there's a few. Look at Revelation 2, 26 and 27. This is talking about Christians. All of those who are in Christ, here's your future destiny of reigning. Look at Revelation 2, 26. Here's the future destiny for those in Christ. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him what? What will you get? Authority over the nations. And he will rule them, that's you, the Christian, will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Remember we talked about this from Psalm 2? Yeah. Christ will rule and reign. That was Christ, the, God's checkmate on the world, is sending Jesus his Messiah. 
And then it says that Christ will crush them. And here we see that we will rule. Christ will share that scepter with us. We will rule over the nations with Christ. Look at Revelation 2, or Revelation 3, verse 21. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to what? Sit with me where? On my throne. And who sits on a throne? A king. And what does a king do? He rules, right? You will have space to sit with Christ on his throne, just as I also conquered, and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus sits on the father's throne. You sit on Jesus' throne. It's a really big throne. It's probably not a literal throne. But the point here is that you'll reign with Christ. You're going to reign with Him. Another Revelation passage. Look at Revelation 20. It's at the end of the book. Revelation 20, verse 4. Two more. Or three more. Three more verses. Two in Revelation 20 and then one in Revelation 22. Look at chapter 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, the people seated on them, and the people seated on them who were given authority to judge. They are given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word, word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life, and what did they do? They reigned with Christ for how long? For a thousand years. There it is. You're reigning in with Christ. Look at verse 6. Same chapter. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death, it's eternal death, has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Okay? So you have the center of Christ. You crush the nations with the authority of Christ. You sit on the throne of Christ. And here, you reign with Christ as His priest. For a thousand years. And then one more. Revelation 22. Last one. Revelation 22 verse 5. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign. Not for a thousand years. But what? Forever and ever. This is the future destiny of Christians. Reigning with Christ. Ruling with Him over the nations. Sitting on his throne, holding his scepter, exercising authority for a thousand years, and then after that, at least in my view, it's a pretty long and then forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, the future is secure. This is not up for debate. God is faithful and powerful. He will accomplish his purposes. He is sovereign and he does whatever he pleases. That's what Psalm 153 says. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. In Ephesians 1.11... God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Everything. Or as Nebuchadnezzar said, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in his time, said in, in Daniel chapter 4, who can stop God's hand? No one can say to him, stop, or stay there. No one can stop God. He's going to save all His people. They will reign forever and ever. It's, it's a lock. It's guaranteed. There's no debate or discussion. There's no fear. There's no possibility that this won't succeed. There's no risk at all. The mission of God is not at risk. At all. For a second. So how shall we live? If you know that God's going to save people. And they're going to reign with Christ forever. How shall we live? Well you can apply that to repenting from your own sin. You can apply that to your broken relationships. That you need to repent from it. And make sure Christ is central in. But listen to Acts 18. Turn to Acts 18. Keep your finger in Revelation. Because we'll be there but 
Look at Acts 18. I want to look at several verses here in this story. Let me illustrate for you how we should live if you know that there's a future destiny for these saved people. Acts 18, verse 1. Speaking of Paul, after he left Athens and went to Corinth, so Paul's in Corinth now in Acts 18. Look at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So here Paul plants a church where? What city? Corinth. Now look at verse 12. When Galileo, when Galileo, not Galileo, sorry. That's a world history, not Bible history here. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. <coughs> this man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. That's scary. Imagine that. You're preaching the gospel. You plant a church. You start baptizing people. You start making disciples. You enter into a church covenant. You guys start taking responsibility for each other's discipleship and gospelizing each other and gathering and taking communion and start sharing the gospel with your neighbors. And you do that for a few weeks. And then you get called in to the court to, to give a testimony. And people are accusing you of telling that society, that new culture, that community, that you're disrupting the peace in that community by telling people to worship another god. That's scary. <clears throat> That's scary to live in that context. What would you do? Go somewhere else, right? Maybe. But Paul had courage to face this situation. Why? Look at Acts 18, same chapter, verse 9 through 11. Why was Paul confident to face these trials and sufferings? Look at verse 9. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, as I'm hoping the Lord says to you even this morning, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent. Why? For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. Why? Because I have many people in this city. They will come. I have many people who are going to be saved, and they will reign on the future earth. So you need to stay in the city. They can't hurt you. They might control you and put you in handcuffs, but I'm in control of the one who's putting you in handcuffs. I control them. I control ships and airplanes and weather and bacteria and viruses and sickness and death. I control it all. Don't be afraid. Don't stop speaking. Go there and keep speaking. <coughs> salvation is guaranteed. The future initial and final salvation will come to pass among people from every tribe and people and language and nation. And so Paul says, or God says to Paul, stay there, don't be scared, and keep speaking. So here's a command to you, application. If you believe in the future destiny, then stop being scared, repent for your fear, stop being silent at work and at home and at school and in the neighborhood. Stop being silent, speak up, and tell them about Jesus. Say, hey, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you about Jesus. Just, just start with the awkward sentence. I want to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> just say that. And then, and then it's awkward, but like you already went. You're already in, right? You might as well just finish what you're going to say. Right? So just start the speech. And don't, and don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Just start it. And, 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 and force yourself to start. And then let God carry you through the rest of it. 
Because you'll know at the end, you'll thank God for it, and you'll actually realize that even your starting was from God, wasn't it? And even that was empowered by God. So just, just start it. John Piper said, We discovered that God's purpose to be known and praised and enjoyed among all the, peop- all the nations cannot fail. It is, an absolute, it is an absolute certainty. It's an absolutely certain promise. It's going to happen. You guys know Matthew 24, 14? It says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testament to all ethnic people groups. And then the end will come. So Jesus is telling you in Matthew 24, 14, it's going to happen. It's going to go to all ethnic people groups. So here John Piper says, quote, From this discovery we saw that if we as a church are disobedient. So is the gospel going to get to all nations, yes or no? Are all the people going to be saved eventually who are going to be saved, yes or no? Yes. So here's what Piper says. From this discovery we saw that if we as a church, and I'll say this is Bethany Baptist Church, if we as a church are disobedient, it is not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that we'll lose. We will lose. God's counsel will stand and he will accomplish all his purpose. His triumph is never in question, only our participation in it or our incalculable loss. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelization. But God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our little land and comfort. Are we fully invested? Are we living sacrificially for the guaranteed success of world missions? Is all of our work, family, school, friendships, church life, ambitions, hobbies, responsibilities, and leisure, is all of, are all of these things connected to this certain and inevitable victory? Or is our life disconnected and fragmented? I got a section of my life for the church. I got a section of my life for work. I got a section of my life for world missions. Is it all disconnected? Or is it all connected to this great global victory? If this future destiny is true, then your, your life plans are not too big. They are too small. If this future destiny is true, your life ambitions are too small. They're not big enough. Your thoughts are not high enough. Your goals are not great enough. Stuck in smallness. The main goal again, be a world Christian by sacrificing your life for God's global glory. Why? Because the past is accomplished and the future destiny is secure. Third reason why you should devote your lives to world missions is because of the present predicament. The present predicament. What is going on in the present? Three things that are going on in the present. Christians are conquering today, right now. Christians are conquering. Secondly, witnesses are waiting. And thirdly, siblings are dying. Christians are conquering, witnesses are waiting, and siblings are dying. Christians are conquering. Look at Revelation 2. Actually, you're, go back to Revelation. For Revelation 2, I'm going to read to you seven verses here, just the first phrase. Look at Revelation 2. Revelation 2 and 3 is written to the seven churches of Asia. So here in Revelation 2 and 3, God is speaking to the churches, and what is he telling each of these churches? Look at Revelation 2, 7. He's saying to the church, Jesus is saying to the church there, um, to the one who conquers, I'll give the tree of life. In verse 11, the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. In verse 17, to the one who conquers, I'll give some of the hidden manna. I'll give him white stone. 
Look at verse 26. To the one who conquers, we already read this, I will give him authority over the nations. In chapter 3, verse 5, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life. In verse 12, chapter 3, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he'll never go out again. In verse 21, chapter 3, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sit with my father on his throne. What are Christians doing today? Conquering. Christians are conquering today. We have 97 members of Bethany Baptist Church. If you didn't get the new, the new directory, make sure you get the new directory. And we have 97 members here. And what are they doing? What are these 97 members doing today? Presently. What's the present predicament? They are conquering. <coughs> what are they conquering? They're conquering Satan. They're conquering the beast and the second beast. The deception in this world. They're conquering the lies of this world. They are conquering. We are conquering Satan's sin and death. We're conquering sin in our own lives. Sin in our church. We are made to conquer. That's happening right now. That's a present predicament. Christians are called to conquer. Christians are conquering. And to be honest, some Christians are conquering. Some, profession, some professing Christians are cowering, not conquering. Instead of being conquerors, they're cowards. We cower before a hard conversation. We cower before fellow church members. We cower before our neighbors. We cower before Satan and our sin. We cower before the difficulties of life. And the cowards don't make it to the end because cowards are not true Christians. The conquerors receive the reward. And so Christians today are conquering. We stumble when we conquer. It's not all smooth. We know that, right? As, as members of this church, as we minister to each other and take responsibility for each other's discipleship, we know that it's not smooth. But we're still conquering. It's still happening. We are identified as the ones who conquer. Look at Revelation 12, 11. This might be the key verse in terms of the present predicament, but I won't spend too much time on it. Revelation 12, 11. After Satan, the dragon, is thrown out of heaven in this vision in Revelation 12, he's thrown down to the earth in verse 10. And look at Revelation 12, 11, speaking about the saints. The, uh, yeah, the, the saints, the brothers and sisters of Christ, who used to be accused by Satan. What do these saints do? They conquered the dragon. They conquered Satan. How? By the, word, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Or on what basis? Due to the blood of the Lamb, how did they conquer Satan? By Christ's death. So in other words, who's the one who really conquered Satan? Jesus did, right on the cross. When Christ died, he conquered Satan. But we conquer Satan on account of Christ's death. By the blood of the Lamb, we conquer Satan. That's not the only way. That's not enough. It is enough in the sense that it's secure, but that's not the only grounds for conquering Satan. Read on. Not only by the blood of the Lamb, but by what? By the word of their testimony. So not just by the gospel of Christ, but by the gospelizing of Christians. By us speaking the gospel, the word of our testimony, over and over, gospelizing Christians, gospelizing non-Christians, gospelizing neighbors, gospelizing family members, gospelizing church members, rebuking them and teaching them and confronting them and restoring them again and again and again. By speaking the gospel of the goodness of Christ, the kindness of God in Christ to people, we conquer the dragon. Satan loses by the gospel and by gospelizing of the saints. That's how we conquer. And there's a key here to the whole thing, and I'll pick up on it at the end, but I'll read it now since you're already in Revelation 12, 11. 
Why, why, do they, why are they able to conquer like this? What's the key for them? What makes them so bold? The blood of the Lamb, the gospel, the gospelizing, but what else? For they did not love their lives to the one. In other words, they didn't care if they what? They didn't care if they died. And if you don't care if you die, you have no fear. And when you have no fear, you're able to speak what you want to say. What keeps us from boldness? What keeps us from honesty? What keeps us from gospelizing? Fear. We're scared to die. We're scared we're going to lose comfort. We're scared we're going to lose a friendship. We're scared we're going to get fired. We're scared we're going to lose money. We're scared we're going to lose a place to live. And when fear controls, Christ doesn't, right? But that's not how we conquer. That's not how these people conquer. They're not scared to die. So Christians are conquering. Not only are Christians conquering, look at chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Witnesses are waiting. Look at chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I told you about the six seals or the seven seals of world history. Here's the fifth seal. Speaking of still during this tribulation, I would say, that's happening from Christ's death and resurrection until even 2019. This is what's going on in the fifth seal. This is what's happening present in this present predicament. When Christ opened the fifth seal, when the Lamb opened the fifth seal, John said, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been what? Slaughtered. Now who slaughtered earlier? The Lamb was slaughtered. But now these souls have been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had been given. They shared the gospel and they got what? They got killed for it. They gave their lives for the gospel and gospelizing. So here they are under the altar. And what do they do in verse 10? They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who's holy and true, how long feel their longing here? How long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? Do they care about justice? Yes or no? Or are they indifferent to justice? No, they care about justice. How long until you avenge our blood? Now, they're not petty and vindictive. I want to get back at the guy who killed me. They want God's justice. God, it's not right that your name is defamed. How long until you come back, end this whole thing, and avenge our blood? So what are they doing? They're waiting. They're told to wait a little while longer, right? Look at verse 11. So they were each given a white robe. We read about that in chapter 7 already, which comes later. They were each given a white robe, and they were told to what? Rest a little while longer. So they're told to wait. So what's happening right now? What's the present predicament as we're here on earth? Witnesses in heaven are waiting for the final end. Christians are conquering. Witnesses are waiting. And lastly, look at verse 11. I'll finish the verse. What are they waiting for? So you can say, they're waiting for Christ to come back. They're waiting for everyone to be saved. Is that true? Yeah, they're waiting for everyone to be saved, but that's not what it says here. What are they waiting for in verse 11? Until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be what? Killed just as they had been. Why were they killed? The ones who were praying here. Why were they killed? They were slaughtered. Why? Because of what? Gospel. And gospelizing, right? And so Christ says, or the Lord says, you have to wait until what? Until more die. In other words, are more Christians still going to have to die for the cause of the gospel? Yes. Absolutely. And some are in this room. Some need to be in this room. Some of us are called, all of us are called to give our lives to Christ. And some of us will actually die for the gospel. Knife to the throat, a bomb, threats. 
government execution perhaps. Some, some here in this room, some here in Southeast LA, among our churches in Shepherd LA, certainly among our Shepherd LA churches, right? There's 12 churches in Shepherd LA. At our Southern Baptist Convention, 45,000 churches, 160 churches in our Los Angeles Southern Baptist Association, some from here will die. Until this number is completed, the end won't come. So what's happening right now in this present predicament? Siblings are dying. Brothers and sisters are dying right now, and they will continue to die. And we need to send them, and we need to go and die ourselves. That's the call. The end doesn't come until this happens and is completed. Brothers and sisters, suffering is inevitable. It's inevitable. I know, I know, most of you grew up here in the States. You grew up in a Christianity that told you you can have Jesus and not suffer. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a satanic lie. Jesus said, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his what? Cross, cross and follow me, right? Die to yourself and follow me. And so we take our cross as, you know, um, bad relationships with friends. My cross is I got a bad boss at work. That's not the cross here. The cross is where you die. I'm not saying those things can't be crosses, but you can lighten it so much that you feel like that's your cross. No, if you're a Christian, you need to die to yourself and might even need to physically die for Jesus. Actually, all of us should die spending our lives for Jesus. In that sense, we should all die for the gospel. But some of us need to be killed. It says here, not just those who died, but who are slaughtered, killed in persecution for the gospel. This needs to happen. And this is normal Christianity. I know you live here in America, and this is the Disneyland of the world, and so we think that normal Christianity means no suffering. That's not normal. That's a fake Christianity. That's a fake Christianity. And if you've been living that as your Christianity your whole life, you've been told a lie. Christianity means giving up your life for Christ. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is normal Christianity. Jesus said, if, they, if the world loves me, they will love you. If they hated me, they'll what? Hate you. That's normal Christianity. If nobody opposes you for your Christianity, you're not following Jesus. You're following a fake Jesus. If people who oppose Jesus don't oppose you, something's wrong. I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm not saying be opposed because you're a jerk. Or you're being rude. Well, you should be opposed. And we'll oppose you too. Right? We should oppose each other here in this church for being <coughs> and sinfully rude. But, but when we're talking about suffering for Jesus, living for Jesus, when your face is the face of Christ, or your body is the body of Christ embodied to people in your love and words to them, and they reject you, that's normal. Don't complain. Don't be surprised. If they're rejecting Christ, of course they'll be mad at you. They're mad at Jesus. Don't even take it personal. It's not you that they're mad at. They're mad at Jesus. So just be a faithful witness to them. Let me close here, or at least this point, with an illustration. Some of you know John Patton, a missionary. John Patton, I'm sorry, I said earlier the Moravians, I told you 1850s, that was this story, not that story. So John Patton wanted to be a missionary to the West Indies, I believe. And 19 years before he was about to go, they had just taken them at that same place, they killed... Um, 
a missionary named Williams and another missionary named Harris together. Williams and Harris went to that tribe to share the gospel with them. They were killed and they were eaten by the tribe. They were cannibals. So they killed the missionaries and they ate them. And that was 19 years ago. Uh, in terms of, that was in 1839. So now, 19 years later, here, John Patton is here, and he's telling Mr. Dixon, an elderly um, leader in the church, in the churches, that he wants to be a missionary to that same place in that same tribe. And then Mr. Dixon exploded, you'll be eaten, or the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. And to that, young Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. You're going to be eaten by worms. I'll be eaten by cannibals. Big deal. We're going to rise from the dead and we'll both have resurrected bodies like Christ. Let's go. Let's go. Let's suffer. Let's lay down our lives. Jim Elliott, who also laid down his life for the gospel in the, in the 1900s, I was going to say in this century, that was the last century, he said famously, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. His wife, who lost her husband, said this, God's command, go ye and preach the gospel to every creature, was the categorical imperative. The question of personal safety was wholly irrelevant. That's an irrelevant question. Is it safe? That's not a Christian question. Maybe 10th or 20th. Your top five questions on missions, if that's your first five questions, that's, not a, that's, that's, that's completely irrelevant to whether we should go or not. Of course, we will put our safety in jeopardy. Of course, we'll suffer. So David Livingston said, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office as a missionary. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in heaven, in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. You're human, you can, you can feel a little hesitation. But let this be only for a moment, continuing. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. It's no sacrifice. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own life, his own soul? My prayer is that God would save our 97 members from foolishness, from triviality, from short-sightedness, from fear. God, save us from fear. Save us from the temporary comfort. Save us from small-mindedness. Save us from the deceit and the lies of this world that even inevitably bleeds into our churches and into our own Bible reading. Let me apply this to missions here as we close. 
Will we, Bethany Baptist Church, be a globally-minded church? Will we? We need to be. I want to encourage some of you, if you haven't already, to, to come to our missions class. Let me know if you want to be in that missions class. We have five more weeks of studying missions. It would be helpful to just get your mind focused together off of this world and the world's lies into eternal and real present realities. Will we work with other churches as a church for God's global glory? Will we work with other churches here in LA? Will we work with other churches abroad? Will we be a healthy church in this convention of churches? Will we work inside and outside of our denomination? Because it's not about the name of the denomination, it's about the name of Christ to all nations. Will we do that? Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're not a member of this church, you need to join a church because when you move the church, you change the world. God advances his mission through churches. So join a church, move your church as a healthy member, and you'll change our world. Connect all of your life to God's glory among the nations. So send people for missions. Gospelize your neighbors. Disciple. Now, if all of life is discipleship, and if discipleship is connected to missions, then all of your life can be connected to missions. So connect your fights this holiday season with your family members to missions. Fight for missions when you fight your family members this holiday season. You're fighting over parking. You're fighting with, you know, at the mall, fighting over gifts or whatever, and the the... the the family program for the night, as you fight, fight for missions. That's a missions issue, what God's doing in your heart, because you're discipling. Fight for missions, or um, work for missions by attending our Sunday gatherings. Coming every Sunday is a missions issue. Change diapers of kids for the glory of God among the nations. Weep with another member and bear their burdens for the nations. Take food or meet some other need of a church member for the nations. Exercise your physical body for temporary health for the sake of the nations. Sleep well for the sake of the nations. Eat healthy for the sake of the nations. Do your hobbies for the sake of the nations. Have yummy desserts in moderation for the sake of the nations. Enjoy a cinnamon once in a while for the sake of the nations. Connect all of your life to global missions. Don't live a disconnected, small-minded life. Everything you do is for the nations. Consider going on a short-term missionary trip. My, my prayer for BBC from here on out is that within any five-year segment, 20% of our members have gone on a short-term missions trip. So consider the next five years going on a short-term missions trip. Make that a family vacation. Support and give for missions. Pray for missions. Give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Give to regular <coughs> offering because that goes to missions as well. Strengthen other churches here to be faithful. Strengthen our pastors. And I don't hear one other application. Consider once a year, like, my, like me and Francis do every December. Consider once a year, honestly before the Lord, even fearfully, but honestly, pray to the Lord and ask God if he would send you to the nations. God, do you want me to change careers right now? Do you want me to just uproot my kids from school and just do this? Do you want me to to interrupt my retirement and actually spend my retirement for the nations, among the nations? Ask that still. Ask that question to God in prayer regularly. Once a year at least. We're going to preach it every December, first two weeks of the year, for a lot of Christmas offering. So if you're part of this church, you're going to hear it at least every December. And that's what me and Francis are praying. It's a good time for you to pray as well. Again, the, the main idea here, our main goal is be a world Christian by sacrificing your life for God's glory. Why? Because of the past accomplishment Christ purchased and ordained priests. 
While, from every tribe, people, language, and nation. Why else should you do missions? Because the future destiny is secure. People will reign with Christ on the earth. And why else should you give your life to missions? Because of the president predicament. Christians are conquering. Christians are conquering. Witnesses are waiting. And our siblings are suffering. For the nations. We are the lost ones who needed missions. We needed missionaries to come to us, right? I mean... For, for my, the way I got saved was Philippine, American missionaries went to the Philippines, shared the gospel, planted churches there, saved my pastor's dad, and then that pastor's dad came over here, and then my pastor came over here, and then his, his daughter shared the gospel with me. Because American missionaries sent people to the Philippines in the 1920s and 30s. Came all the way back to West Virginia, back to America, to me. And now some other ripple effect is right here to you, and you're going to carry the ripple effect onto others. And everything we do for the everything everything we do is for the nations. You build up another member here, they're going to build up somebody else for the nations. But we needed missionaries to come to us, right? Didn't we? I mean, if there was no missionary work among us in our language, we wouldn't have the gospel. And who's the ultimate missionary who came to the to those in a different culture? It's Christ, right? He humbled himself. Though being in the form of God, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He took on the form of a servant. And Christ became a man. That's what Christmas is about. We'll talk about that for the next two weeks. He became a man to speak the gospel and accomplish the gospel so that we can be saved. Christ lived sacrificially for global missions. That's why we're Christians today. And now Christ is calling us. He said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. The Spirit and the Son now send us. If you don't devote your life to being a world Christian, you'll live for something small, you'll live in fear, and you'll never be content in Christ. But if you give your life to world missions and God's global glory, you'll live for a big, the big God and His big purpose for your short and small life, the purpose you were saved for. You'll live by faith, you'll walk with Christ in small things, and you'll find deeper joy in Christ because every little thing you do is connected to world missions. Let me close with this. I'm going to close with a prayer. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I told you guys I was going to do this last week, right? I want to ask if there's any members in this church who are willing to be prayed for to be a full-time missionary, long-term, sent out by this church. So here's what I want to do. If you sense, now, I think everyone should stand if I said, if you want to be a, a world Christian. Every member who's obediently listening to this word should all stand, right? So I'm not asking that. If you want to be a world Christian, praise God. That's the definition of everyone. But I'm asking something else right now before we close in prayer. I'm asking if you sense in your heart from God's word and God's spirit that God is sending you to world missions. And when I say, you don't have to be sure. Just you sense that. And you sense a serious move in that direction. Okay? A serious move. What does serious mean? I don't know. If you sense a serious move in that direction, that you're seriously considering going. Then I, then I want to know who you are. I want you to actually stand up and come up here to the stage. And I want us to pray for you. And then I want someone to take a picture. And the only reason I want the picture is because I need to know who they are. And, or you can write everyone's name down if you want. But I need to know who they are because I'm going to put them. I want to put your name on the directory in the back page of our membership directory. So that when you're praying through the directory, we're praying for you all next year. Okay? So if you sense, again, you don't, you're just, if you sense by God's spirit, a serious shift or move in that direction that you're seriously leaning in that direction of going as a missionary crossing a culture to another place for the sake of the nations and the unreached in particular whether that or not or closer to the unreached to eventually reach the unreached then would you please stand 
Please stand if that's you. It could be one person, it could be no one. It could be, okay. I'm going to ask you guys to come here, come up here to the stage. We're going to pray together. And um, so yeah, so come here to the stage. Just stand here, across the stage here. Yes, on the stage. here committed to being a world Christian and praying for these people regularly for the next year. If that's if you're a member of our church and you're doing that, please stand where you are. Just stand where you are. Okay, if you're committed to praying for these members as a fellow member of this church for the next year, and when I mean committed, at least once a month, you know, like in the, in the directory. So you're committed to praying for them and encouraging them in this. And please stand as a fellow member of this church. All right, so if, um, if you are, we're going to pray now. I want you, where you're seated out there, to put, just reach your arm out towards these brothers and sisters as we pray. And let's pray to the Lord together. Father in heaven, we praise you for these brothers and sisters who know you and love you and are responsible for our discipleship here at Bethany Baptist Church. Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom. And discernment to discern your call on their lives. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen their souls in you. We pray, Father, that you would guide them and lead them towards the path you're calling them to. As those who might be going to world missions. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be an encouragement to them. A strength to them and a blessing to them. We pray, Father, that you would help them to kill sin in their own lives. To keep repenting more and more effectively, more quickly, more deeply, more thoroughly, more, more edifyingly to the other members of this church. Grow them in faith. Captivate them by their, in their Bible reading this year. Captivate them with a vision of, for your glory among the nations. And we pray for our church family that we too would be captivated by this vision. Help us as a church to be faithful to missions. To be faithful prayers. To be faithful supporters. To be faithful senders. And for some of us, even faithful goers. Send our people, Lord, to short-term missions and send these brothers here as you lead, Lord, even to long-term missions. Guide us, we pray, Father. Give us a heart for the nations. And we pray, Lord, for those even in the, among the reached and unreached people groups down who are going to hear the gospel because of their word, because of their lives, because of their sacrifice. Prepare their hearts now the way you did to Cornelius in Acts 10 when he was praying and you sent him a vision to send for Peter. Lord, work in people now. The babies now, the little kids, the five-year-olds, the, the, the little kids right now who are running around somewhere in this world who are going to hear the gospel because of these brothers and sisters and because our church is going to send some. We pray that you prepare their hearts. Father, do it. Reach the nations, people from every tribe, people, language, nation. And Lord, don't pass over our church, Father. We pray and we plead. Use our church as part of your unstoppable plan. Save us from ourselves. Save us from small-mindedness. Save us from comfort. Save us from fear. Change us and transform us, we pray. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in praying for, supporting, and encouraging these brothers. And captivate our church for your global glory among the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.